and and it was good. It was good life, right? And so I, I grew up and I, and I did that. And then um, we ended up in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I went off to Vanderbilt uh, for college, and I met two very important people there. Uh, that, that's me when I was a senior. But the, the guy in bow tie is Malcolm Getz. And so he is my advisor from college. And um, basically, I went in his class when I was a freshman, and I thought, I'm going to be this guy. So he taught statistics class, and then he taught uh, another economics class that I took with him, and another economics class that I took with him. And I was his teaching assistant, and I just loved his life, and I wanted that life. And so I thought, well, that's that's what I want to do. And so that was part of discovering how to be an economics professor, because uh, that's what it is. And um, I remember he told a, um, a parent of a student of his once, I never meant to work in my life. I just get up every day and I do what I want to do. And I thought, wow, that made <laughs> And I wish I could say that too, uh, and I, I can't because sometimes it's work. But but I do love my job. It is great. Uh, the other person I met at Vanderbilt is Molly. So that's uh, Molly Robertson, who uh, who's my wife, and uh, we ended up going together to graduate school. And um, transitioning to graduate school was the time. Remember, I told you about this uh, defining my life based on achievement. Well, that worked pretty well. Uh, as long as school wasn't that hard. And as it turned out, Vanderbilt was sort of tough, but it didn't really destroy me yet. But Yale <laughs> did. Uh, and so um, I went off to get a PhD in economics at uh, Yale. That was the next step on my journey. And uh, it, was, it was very difficult. And I wasn't doing well. I remember my first midterm macroeconomics and Bob Schiller's class. I don't know why he did this, but he uh, returned this, the, the midterm exam in reverse order of grade. And I got my mind second. So I, I won't tell you who was first, but I was second. And I, it just wasn't good. And I thought, wow, uh, I'm going to fail out of this program. And my life is really about not failing. My life is about succeeding you know, doing the, the career thing, the school thing, being smart kind of a lot. And that, that, that was tough. And so I had a difficult time uh, in graduate school. I buckled down. Um, but, you know, Molly was very helpful. I had a wonderful church there, Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven. Uh, I grew in the faith a lot through that, struggling with, um, you know, with just recognizing that if academic achievement is going to be my identity, I'm going to have a pretty positive life because I'm not that good at it, and I'm going to come to the end of myself at some point. And I had known from a very early age that my identity really should be in Christ and in crucified, but I wasn't really living like it. And so I had to come to the end of myself in the first year of graduate school really get that uh, message somewhat, okay? And so uh, I went to Yale and I graduated, and then my first job was as a uh, assistant professor at William Mary. And so we came to Williamsburg and we had three children. And so we also had three hermocrats. Uh, <laughs> and you also, maybe you can see, uh, you can see Sweetie Nemo right there in the front there. Or Nemo Sweetie. I think we have a child. This is Margaret and Caroline and Thomas. So those are our three kids. But I also want to tell you, so, I, you know, um, I learned a lot 
about, uh, about myself and, and about my faith after you know, having a really hard time at Yale, but um, it got better. It's not all that. And uh, uh, I still struggle with it. I just want to share a really quick um, anecdote. Uh, earlier this week, I had the pleasure of getting reconnected with my, one of my best friends from Yale. He was a guy named Thompson, and he was in my study group in the first year, and we uh, went through the tough time together, and he lives in the Netherlands now with his family, and he's an economics professor. And we were talking, we had a great time, you know, an old friend I've known for 16 years now, I guess, and, uh, and we were talking about the job market and getting our first jobs. And I was just remembering my experience, and he was remembering his experience, and I was like, yeah, you know, I had this offer at DC, and I had William Mary offers, it's okay. And I was really nervous though because I wanted two offers. He said, Yeah, I was thinking about this and then that and that other thing and the other thing and this thing. I said, Gee, how many offers did you get for jobs? And he said, Ah, uh, 10, I think, you know? And I had two, and he had 10. <laughs> 10 years ago, it's my best friend, and I'm envious of him now. Is that sick? Yes, that is sick. <laughs> and so I think, gosh, you know, I still have a lot. Um, of work to do here uh, with how I think about my work and, and my identity, but, um, but we'll, we'll work through that. So, um, to the topic at hand, we're talking about stewardship, I think, the next few weeks, and uh, adulting. So, uh, today I'm going to ask you to talk about adulting, and one of the things about me is I'm one of the oldest members of Generation X in, in the country. So if we Google it, Generation X ends with me. It's like my picture of me. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really true. But you know, people born in 1980. I was born in 1980. And then my wife was born uh, two years later. And so she is a millennial. <laughs> and so I asked Molly, what the heck is adulting? I don't know what that means. And she, she kind of told me. And we used Google. And we figured it out. <laughs> this is a really good uh, way to go, and I recommend adulting. And from now on, everything we talk about presumes adulting. Okay? Uh, because we're talking about stewardship, and stewardship basically just means taking care of things, right? And so here's here's the perspective of where I think everything else I'm going to talk about in terms of career fits in. God created everything. Seen and unseen, he created this world and he put us in it and he said, Take care of it. Okay? And it's a broken world. And he is redeeming. And so, in that taking care of it command, he's saying, Be a part of the redemptive processes uh, that I'm at work through you in this world. Okay? And we do that every day. We do that when we clean something, we do that when we return an insult with a smile or a compliment. We do that uh, with lots and lots of things. And we can also do that through career choices, right? You spend a lot of your time doing the career thing. And so it makes a lot of sense to make that part of this redemptive process of stewarding the world, uh, natural resources, animals, people, taking care of your neighbors. And that can be part of 
career, because that's what God has called us to do, to be part of his, uh, his mission on, on the world. So in stewardship, what I want to do is focus now more into how do we discern what's wise about careers, jobs? How should I spend a big chunk of my time for many of the years of my life? And you know, maybe how I did that and, and, and some ideas from economics about how you might want to do that. So uh, backward induction. That's how you should do it. Backward induction is a game theory term that I taught a third of you in Econ 101. Not a third. 17%. Okay? Uh, remember, when we're trying to figure out what a firm should do that hasn't entered the market yet, the firm is over there hanging out, waiting on the wings, and saying, Do I want to enter the market for restaurants in Waynesburg? I don't know. What does it do? The firm can't just answer, Sure, I should enter the market, or I shouldn't enter the market. The firm has to imagine what it's going to be like if the firm is in the market and how it's going to act once it's in the market. Okay? And so in Econ 1, we say, okay, let's make the margin and say, uh, I would produce where marginal revenue is marginal cost if I'm in the market. If I'm not in the market, this is what things would look like. And then you have the end game in sight. And then you walk back to the original perspective and say, well, if I'm in the market, life would look like that. If I were not in the market, life would look like that. And now I can make a good decision about that. So my recommendation for thinking about careers, a framework, is do some backward induction. So that means cast a vision for yourself. Imagine what you would like your life to look like in 10 or 15 years, or 20 or 25 years, or whatever is the relevant time frame. And say, what would I like my life to look like then? And there are a lot of excellent, legitimate, good answers to that question. Well, I would be traveling a lot. Well, I really don't need a lot of money, or I need a lot of money. I would like a family that looks sort of like this, or I want to be on my own and have a lot of independence, or I want to be international or not. A lot of answers to this question, right? I want to help people a lot. I want to have a solitary sort of job. Imagine what things will look like in 10, 15 years, or 20, 25 years, and then work back, use back the induction thing, and think, what do I need to do now to point sort of in that direction? Not that everything's going to be linear and perfect, but to point sort of in that direction, right? So if I want to be a physician, I need to take chemistry classes, right? If I want to be an attorney, it doesn't really matter that much, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, and then go to law school, right? Because they take lots of people in law school, from physics and, you know, like what's an major that you in law school, it doesn't really matter, right? You do well uh, in, in college, and then you can do, do like, you can't really major in economics and go to med school all that well. You can, but it's going to be, all right, so that's kind of the idea. Uh, what do you need to do now to get there? So uh, a bit of a soapbox for me as well is that one of my least favorite words is passion. <laughs> Not a big thing. Why is that? Uh, I see, say, movies, books, talking to people, advice, commencement speeches, follow your passion. <laughs> I don't think that's wise. What do we learn from the Bible? The heart is deceitful. Where do the passions come from? Well, it's kind of what we're talking about the heart, right? Do what you want to do. Do what you really love, what you're passionate about. Just follow that. And 
Sure, passion is great. Don't get me wrong. I have a big fan of passion. I have a lot of passion. Wow. But I typically find that passion follows investments in other things, right? You will become passionate about things that you spend a lot of your time on. You will become passionate about things that you value and think are very, very important. So when you think about career, I would suggest don't think about what you really care about and what your heart says and what you're passionate about and then go follow that. But think about a different structure, a different framework, a different set of guidelines and pursue that and find out that you get really passionate about it. Right? I didn't start out super passionate about economics. It didn't. I love economics. so valuable. And I have great passion for it. It didn't start that way. It came follow later. Okay? So I would suggest don't really passion and follow passion. Uh, try to follow wisdom. Try to make wise decisions. And passion, pretty sure, will follow from that. And it'll be a big thing. So uh, here's an alternative perspective on thinking about careers that's guided by economics a bit. Okay, I've got a graph. It's coming, right? Okay, so here's a here's a perspective, an idea. So go where you're needed. That's what I would suggest. You think about your career. What, where can I be of value? Where can I be of service? Where can I be part of the redemptive work of God? in the world and very helpful. And where you're needed, I like to think about it in three different ways or from three different perspectives. One is that people aren't doing it so much. Right? You're not so much needed where there's just an abundance of people doing exactly that and you're just one more. Sure, it might be nice to do that, you might enjoy it, but you're not going to make a big difference on the margin. Uh, go where people aren't doing it. Uh, another thing, it's a valuable task. Okay, so you want to think about ways where you can have an impact, things that are productive, things that people want, people need, the world needs. Go where uh, you're valuable and you're a productive person. And then uh, the third thing, think about what you're good at. Okay, and so this is similar to value and, and productivity. Are you good at this or are you not going to be very successful? Uh, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So one way, to think about, yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is flying demand. One way to think about what's where you're needed is through the markets. Markets work really well sometimes, not all the time, but there's a labor market out there that collects a lot of information, and you can describe the labor market with a graph that looks like this. I'll explain it. And it'll tell you some of those things uh, relative to what I just said. Who's doing it? Are there a lot of people doing it? Is it a productive thing? Okay? So what is this? This is a supply and demand graph where the horizontal axis is employment. How many people are employed doing this thing? So this could be the market for um, uh, the market for managers. Okay? So in the market for managers, what's uh, the level of employment? And then also in workplace, what is the wage level or the price? How much are people being paid to do this thing? Okay? And there are two relationships. One is the supply relationship. And this says, as people get paid more for being managers, more people will enter the market to be managers. Right? So the supply curve slows up. And the supply curve also measures how much it costs to be in the market. 
for management. How costly, how difficult is it for someone to be a manager? What kind of education credential do you have to get? How hard is it to do the thing? And that's the supply relationship. The demand relationship is a downward slope. When this says, if wages go up for managers, firms will hire, because it's more expensive to do that, right? If wages for managers go down, firms will hire more managers, okay? And this all has to do with the productivity of managers. Right? So given a wage, how many managers will be uh, demanded by firms? Well, that depends on how productive they are. Okay? So you see, the wage will typically be set in the market at the intersection between supply and demand. Otherwise, we have surplus or shortage, and then we equilibrate back to this wage. And so uh, take that as a given, because it's unfamiliar to you. But here's the big important thing. Okay? Look at the intersection between these two graphs. And if demand goes up, the intersection of those two graphs will imply that the wage is higher or lower? Higher, high, right? Okay. So this means that people who are doing more productive things tend to get higher wages in a market. Okay. Similarly, if supply goes like this, what happens to the intersection wage? It goes up or down? Oh, oh, good. Absolutely, right? So if there are fewer people doing this, or if it's more costly to do this thing, then wages will tend to be higher. Okay. So it's not universally true. It's not all over the place. But it tends to be that way. Wages tend to be higher when work is productive, and lots of people want people to do this kind of work. And wages tend to be higher when there aren't that many people doing it. We need more of these people. So for example, if we have a shirt, big teacher shortage, teachers are really productive, we want teachers, we like teachers, and demand is relatively high. If there's a shortage, we would expect that uh, wages would be rising to bring teachers into the market. Because we don't have enough, right? So that's kind of how markets work. And so we can look back at this list of three things, and in the phraseology of economics, we say, Go where you need it, where people aren't really doing what you're thinking about doing. I mean, that's a labor supply. Are people supplying their labor to this occupation, this mission, this idea? Well, if there aren't that many people around, it's kind of a scarce thing. Wages will tend to be higher. Uh, if it's a valuable task, we're talking about labor demand. If it's really productive, if people are willing to pay for this, if the market really wants more of it, then we'll get a higher wage. Uh, and if you're good at it, we usually call that human capital. So the skills that you have, are they a high-level skill that allows you to do something that's very, very uh, difficult and valuable and can you do it super well? Okay? So imagine all of those things, and those are the kinds of things that you probably want to be considering as, as a career. So how do wages look in markets? Well, you can make some comparisons with data, and that can be kind of informative. I don't think I looked at the data when I was thinking about careers. So here are some uh, median earnings in the United States from May 2018. And some helpful things to recognize. Uh, just if you're interested in helping people, maybe helping kids, helping families sort through problems, there are a variety of careers that could have you involved in that kind of thing, right? So you could be a social worker. You could be a secondary school teacher, high school teacher. You could be a lawyer. All of these people can be very helpful to families in distress, having problems, or just uh, having healthier families. These are median earnings for these folks. They're very different, right? Social workers have fine 
wages. They're higher than the median in the, in the United States, but uh, not that big relative to high school teachers, and lawyers make a lot more. So this is good to know, and it's a market signal that, hey, we really want more of this and don't necessarily want more of that, and you could use this information to uh, try to think through careers. Another comparison, say you want to be science-y and quantitative, right? There are different types of science-like occupations. You could be a life scientist, you could be a chemical engineer. Wages are quite different, partially because of market signals and things like that, right? And so you could use information like this to make choices, or at least glean information about how different careers look. Graphic designers, web designers, you want to do creative things, interesting things, with uh, visual effects, you want to create beauty. Medium wages uh, vary quite a bit, uh, even between these two. Um, you want to help people with broken bodies, and you want to help heal them and, and uh, make people more comfortable. Uh, dentists, pharmacists, registered nurses are all options within that sphere, uh, but varying wage levels. Right? Did you know how high wages were for pharmacists? Is that news to anybody? They're quite high. This is an excellent career, wonderful career in pharmacy. In fact, the, the most diverse career in terms of gender diversity. Uh, and, uh, so you can get a lot of information from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and that information can tell you something about how much the world needs more of this in terms of what the market signals are saying. And that is at least somewhat informal. So I've had some uh, caveats. And I haven't said ever, and don't hear me say, you need to go make a lot of money. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that markets work sometimes pretty well at telling us what the world wants more of and where you can make an impact. And so wages are, are helpful things that. They don't always tell you everything. And so I would never want you to make a decision just based on how much money you can make. But ignoring it, on the other hand, is probably not a great idea either. And sometimes there are occupations of great social value that for one reason or another people are not willing to pay for. Maybe it's a market failure, a public problem, or something like that. And so you want to consider that as well. You want to be on a social mission. And so sometimes there are occupations, maybe in social work, where the pay is not all that good. The market signal is saying that we don't need a lot more of these folks, but maybe we really do. Because you know that in this city we don't have enough social workers and you want to make an impact. That's a great thing too. But you can still use this idea of where can I uh, contribute? Where can I serve? Where can I be part of the redemptive work that God has going on? The market signals are just partially So I made a table here, this little chart. And I think this might be helpful for figuring out, just discerning what are some options and how do I want to think about things with the same, so you recognize hopefully the same three ideas, right? So uh, what are productive things? What are more valued things that people really want, that our society really wants? And what are less valued things on the right hand side? So we can, we can think about different career options as more valuable things and less valuable things in terms of what the world needs more of. Um, Within those, you can think about things that you're good at doing, things that you're not so good at doing, right? And so we want to think about that as a, as a human capital kind of way to discern careers. And then on the left-hand side, you can think about the degree to which 
labor supply in some sense is abundant or scarce. So can only a few people do this? And so you can have a really big impact because you're one of the few people who could fill this need. Or are lots and lots and lots of people already doing this and maybe it doesn't, uh, doesn't help them. So I could think through this. So this is Pete McHenry op occupation options. And so I could think things like, uh, what kind of occupation do I want? Imagine me as a 20-year-old or a 16-year-old or something like that. And so I think, you know, what am I good at? That might be one thing to think about. Well, it turns out I'm pretty darn good at driving a car. <laughs> I can drive a car. I'm an expert at driving a car. Uh, I don't often get in wrecks. And, uh, and I don't blame any of you a lot. And so, you know, what about driving a car? Maybe that would be a good career for me. This is something I'm good at doing. So where would it go on this chart, on this table? Well, we could think, okay, you know, I'm good at it. So it would go on one of these sort of left-handed things. It's a pretty valuable thing, driving cars. Uh, people need to get around. We need to move stuff around. Uh, you know, we're always ordering things from Amazon, and so Amazon is getting and delivering things to our house, and it's pretty productive to get those kind of things. But it also turns out that lots and lots of people can do it. Driving a car is a very abundant kind of thing, and being one more person who drives a car is a fine thing. I don't mean to downplay it at all. A lot of people make their living driving cars. But you can do something else that not a whole lot of other people do. Maybe you want to think about contributing at the margin a little bit more. Right? A little bit different. So I would think, okay, what's something that, uh, that not as many people can do? Not a lot of people, I found, can tie a dollar, can fold a dollar bill so that it looks like a tie. But I can. I did one, so I'll show you. This is a, it looks like a bow tie. So it's a dollar bill bow tie. But not a lot of people can do this. It's a very scarce kind of skill. <laughs> so the labor supply for a dollar bill bow tie is very small. And so maybe high wages, right? Um, so I'm good at it. Not a lot of people can do it. That checks a lot of boxes. Uh, but you know, it turns out that it's not valuable at all. Nobody cares about this. Uh, <laughs> So I put it up on the right-hand side there, right? Um, so let's think about something that people actually need, people actually want, right? Positions. need positions. People talk about position shortage sometimes. Uh, it's scarce kind of skill. Uh, it's a very valuable thing. But you know, it turns out that when my wife went into labor the first time, I fainted. It's <laughs> <laughs> a true story. I didn't make that up. Uh, and so I'm not any good at it. <laughs> I wouldn't be any good in the position. So probably not a good idea for me. I would put that uh, over here. Uh, not, not good at it. But then what about an economics professor? I'm thinking about that. I think, you know, I'm pretty good at economics. Uh, I did pretty well in school. And I could get a lot better at it. And so that's kind of promising. There aren't a lot of people who do economics, right? It takes a good credential. Um, it's not super easy to do. There aren't all that many people doing it. And it's somewhat valuable. I think, you know, we have good things to contribute uh, and can teach. Consistent with all those things, wages are relatively high, right? So that's a market signal that, uh, that this is a pretty decent opportunity for me. And so uh, it's on the upper left-hand side, right? Pretty good at it. Not a ton of people are doing it, so I can go and contribute something. It's actually kind of a valuable sort of thing. And so it checks all those two boxes. And so if you find something in the upper, upper left-hand corner of this kind of table, uh, then maybe that's a promising thing for you. So these are all eight of <laughs> 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 I'm not in the <laughs>
the superstars, and somebody said Ed Sheeran, and I said, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> and they were really appalled at me, and tried to Google it, and it turns out, um, he's a musician. <laughs> okay, so this is a perspective for thinking through, like, hey, how, how can I be part of the different work that God's doing in this world? Uh, maybe I can be really helpful doing things that I'm pretty good at doing, uh, that not a lot of other people are doing at the moment, and that are pretty valuable, that help people in some way. And market signals can be somewhat helpful in discerning those things. Uh, I also want to emphasize that you don't have to be good at it now. You just have to be good at it eventually. Right? We're all in a process. I'm not as good an economics professor as I hopefully will be next year or many years. And I worked really hard after starting thinking, I think I could be an economics professor. I wasn't any good at it yet. But uh, of course, it was a process uh, that went that way. So here's just an idea that I think uh, about for the career idea. Um, so I want to get back to the big picture as I wrap up just a little bit. Talked about some nitty-gritty things, had a graph, uh, gave some very specific advice. And I do believe that you're going to spend a lot of time in a career, and that's a big investment and a big amount of your life. And use it to the fullest. I'm excited. You have tons and tons of potential to do great things and be a part of very important work uh, that God is doing in the world. But don't forget that um, that doesn't ultimately matter all that much for your identity, right? And so when God looks at you, does he see all of your achievements and work and all that kind of stuff? Is that what he really is thinking about when he's looking at you? Well, for a Christian, he looks at the completed work of Jesus instead of uh, what you have done. And even though you know, Jesus is going to work through you and all of the good career stuff that you do and other things that you do as well, ultimately that's not going to be your value. And that's the kind of thing that I need to tell myself every morning when I wake up. And I hope that you remember as well. So as much as we think hard about careers and things, um, and how dignified and important those are, they're not the most important thing. Right? So my wife likes to remind me that in heaven, I'm going to be unimportant. Because economists uh, study scarcity, there's not going to be any scarcity there. <laughs> she is a music teacher, and so she's going to be loving it. Now, right? And so, and for her, you know, she knows the ultimate thing. She's more, uh, you know, has a better heavenly perspective than I do. Uh, so, so, I hope that these things are somewhat helpful. I've been told that we're going to move now into a time of prayer and reflection.